to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. We're broadcasting from UBC's campus on the unceded ancestral and traditional Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I am your host, Saira Unju, and I am so glad that you're here because we have a great show today. Even though we don't have too many things, we have long things. I don't know if that makes sense. So basically we have two interviews and a review. I'm gonna we're gonna start off with Nico's interview and then Adam PSA break. I'm gonna be back and then we're gonna go into Eva's interview who is a new correspondent. So yay and then after Eva's interview I'm gonna be back and talk about Farouche which was part of the Vancouver International Dance Festival. So Enjoy. Thank you, Seda. Hello, this is Nico Martin Mechino, and today I have the pleasure in introducing and interviewing the prairie poet Sarah Klassen. Sarah is joining us from Winnipeg. She is an award winning poet and fiction writer. A former teacher of high school English, she is an editor, mentor, and teacher in the writing community of Winnipeg and has taught poetry in the Spring Writing School at Canadian Mennonite University. Sarah Claussen has published seven previous books, The Tree of Life being her eighth. Other works include Monstrance, The Wittenbergs, and The Penny Season. She was the winner of the Jared Lampert Award for Journey to Atla in 1988, also the Canadian Authors Association Award for Poetry, and the Margaret McWillams Award for Popular History, which I believe is also an accolade that is that is pretty old in in Canada here. Hello, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, no, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're really excited to to have you. So how's the weather over there? The weather, the sun is shining and it's cold, but it's not a horrible storm like we had last week, last year uh, on the Thanksgiving weekend. Okay. We had lots of snow last year. And the, the... the definition of cold is fairly vague in, in Canada. You know, we have yeah. the, the Nunavut cold, we have the Prairie cold, we have the Vancouver cold. So what, how cold could you say it is over there? Oh, well, it's still above zero, so it's not bitterly cold. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear. Here in Vancouver, it's a, it's a fairly sunny day as well. So I'm glad to hear that the weather's compliant for us. Now let's talk about your, your book, The Tree of Life here. Now, uh, where did you get the concept for your for your Tree of Life? And, and was I correct also that this is your eighth uh, poetry book? Yes, it is my eighth. Okay. And the con the concept. Well, um, are you you mean the concept for the book itself, or the title, or the 
I mean, uh, the, 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 the idea at the beginning, you know, you know, just the, the conception of, of, the, of the book and then, and then following the, the, the name, the tree of life and everything. If you could just give us a little background story. Sure. I don't start out a, a book with a concept, actually. I write constantly uh, about things that I experience or read about or feel or think about. And I don't have the idea of, of a book in mind necessarily. Then when I get a whole bunch of uh, poems sitting there in my uh, files, then I think maybe it's time to shape this into a book. And sometimes that's a bit of a problem because I haven't had a, a concept in mind right from the start. The only time I did start a, po a book with a concept was my uh, one of my books is called Simone Weil, Songs of Hunger and Love. And it's a story of a, a, a young Jewish woman during World War II. So then I had one theme through the whole book. That's not the case for the Book of Life, or for the Tree of Life, my current book. But I found, um, as I was trying to put these poems together, that there were several mentions of the Tree of Life in my poetry. So I thought that might be a, a sort of a unifying idea, a unifying uh, symbol. And so I uh, played around with that, and I thought that would be the title for my book, The Tree of Life. The image itself, the image of a tree, I found to be very useful for, for writing poetry. Uh, we human beings, we are firmly rooted on the earth. We are physical beings, right? But at the same time, I think our aspirations go beyond the physical world, uh, sort of transcend the world, perhaps. And so the tree is a good symbol. It's got its roots in the ground, in the physical earth. It's got its branches reaching up to the sky, which is, we could say, symbolically the heavens, which is more mysterious. And so that combines the two, the spiritual and the physical. And when I write, I try to keep both those aspects of human life in, um, in context. My symbol, the tree of life, many cultures have the image of a tree in their culture or in their mythology. The Norse mythology, for instance, has the uh, uh, a huge ash tree. I can't pronounce the name or spell it. It begins with a Y, but it's considered to be the center of the cosmos. And I like that. Mm. Holds things together, draws things toward the center. But the tree of life, here's a copy of it for you. The tree of life, is from the scriptures actually from Gen the book of genesis there's the tree of life it grows in a garden beside a river and in the last book of the bible there's the tree of life it grows beside the river in a city this time and so that's where my idea of the tree of life comes from very enlightening ideas there and I, for myself even with the tree of life i always I always see it as an, an, umbrella, an, an umbrella idea, the original umbrella idea, for example, with um, a family tree. You know, it starts from the beginning yeah. and then it umbrellas down to modern day, per se. And uh, that's one of the first things that I really saw from, from your book. And even just reading your book, I saw a lot of themes of fear and love, nature and man. And then also the most intriguing for myself was trial and faith or faith and trials, whichever way you look at it. And on that note that you were talking about before, about that transcendence into the celestial, of course, um, there, you come from a background, a religious background. So I wanted to know what that played 
in in the writing of this book and also just in your life in general because i one thing the admiration that i have for poets is that they really live what they write you know and it's just it's not something that is just you know maybe fictional it's just out there in the fantastical world you know, with poetry it's something intimate something they share with it and it's something if you have the pleasure to meet the poet something that you can see in action you know so i just wanted to ask you about that yes i do write from a position of faith and uh, i uh, try to bring that into my poetry one of the sections sort of follows the liturgical church calendar and uh, one of the uh, texts that i read have read a lot and have had embedded in me since i was very quite young was the scriptures the bible the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament. And so that for me is raw material that I can bring into my poetry. I can be writing about nature or about something happening in, in contemporary life. And uh, you want to layer the poetry. And, and one way of doing it is to bring in many things, to make connections between things that aren't normally connected. So I might connect some images from a text, and this text might be from, it's not necessarily always from the, the sacred scriptures, it could be from uh, Shakespeare or something, other text, and connect that with what's happening in contemporary life. So to bring those things together in ways that maybe catch attention, or one aspect enlightens the other aspect. And uh, yes, as you say, you said trial and faith, I believe in your question. And of course, a life, any life, is beset with all kinds of trials. I mean, I wrote all of this before the pandemic, but right now we can all understand how life can be sort of bogged down with various trials that uh, we weren't counting on. And uh, and how does that fit into, into the scheme of things? That, that's, uh, I'm sure, much literature will arise from the pandemic too, but my book does not because it's pre-pandemic. But we've always, always had to deal with various uh, crises or unexpected events that we weren't counting on, and we carry on. Really so, and on that note as well of writing the book as a pre pre-pandemically, when I was reading it, I was almost reminiscent on that normality that we that seems so far away um, because of the of the lockdown or whatever um, protocols that your province has given to the people. But reading your just gave me the sense of um, just yeah, just the beauty of life and and you know how every moment has so much detail. And there's so much significance in every moment. Sometimes we just have to look a little bit more and ask those questions while in the moment. And um, for me, it, it really did bring me back to. You know, because, you know, I can, if I can be honest for myself, these moments have been hard on myself, like I assume on, on everyone else. And it sometimes it's hard to see the light as much as it, it shines. And um, it's one of those things when you know, with your poetry, it just reminded me how much there are deep questions I should keep asking. And, and if not in this moment, particularly as well, because this this can be a great opportunity for self-reflection, this um, this pandemic and everything like that. And um, so I, I really was admired that about your poetry. I think the uh, maybe the pandemic has taught us to pay more attention. We have time, maybe a little more time. People walk a lot, they bike a lot, and maybe we have time to pay attention to the light and to those things around us that are still 
healthy and uh, haven't changed that drastically. Yeah, I hope so. And then I think um, that transition phase right now is for me in particular has been something something rather interesting because it's the the world doesn't stop. You know, even though we're in a pandemic. So we still have these foundations of this capitalistic society where everything's go, go, go for myself in a, in a big city like Vancouver. I'm not sure how it is in, in Manitoba. It's a pretty big city as well. But it, the, in that sense, the world has not stopped, even though we're in the middle of a pandemic and it's still rolling forward, catching momentum. The ball is getting bigger. And I can understand why people why can get a little crazy in these moments. But again, back to back to your book, there was um, there was there was that faith aspect that for myself, I I, I left the Catholic Church a, a while ago. I grew up uh, within within the Latin culture, and we're predominantly uh, Catholics, uh, especially in Argentina. And um, so I left the the church a, a while ago, but I still have huge amount of respect and admiration for it because it was such a big part of my life from from an early age and reading your book there was these these questions about uh about that that transcendence that that really I, I think that you you knitted really well in the sense that you gave you let one express its own experience and uh just seeing you know the pilgrimage and like what what is your own pilgrimage is it you know actually practicing faith or is it doing the best for yourself and being the best person and uh, i thought that was a big thing but I wanted to. I wanted to know if, if has it always been like that? Have you always seen life as a pilgrimage, or was that something that just came up, maybe in the last twenty years or however so? No, I don't think I've always think, thought of life as a pilgrimage, but it is that, isn't it? I mean, we're we're going somewhere, or we want to go somewhere, and the pilgrimage. If you use that word, it sort of adds a kind of gravitas to our our lives, to the idea of living day by day. I think that as I was writing the book, and a lot of the, maybe not a lot, but quite a few of the poems do deal with travel, and I've done quite a lot of travel. And when you think of travel, I don't think I've ever done any travel that I've thought of particularly as a pilgrimage. I mean, many people do go on a pilgrim, pilgrimage, like the Muslim people go on Hajj, and, and Christian people go to Bethlehem or Jerusalem. But I haven't particularly thought of my travel in that way. But in, in writing the poems, I think into my poems, I did bring the idea that this is a pilgrimage of sorts that we are on, and each one is individual, but we, we also share something with each other in the way we as you say, we try to we try to be the best we can, and we try to see the good in in what's happening in the world around us, and we look for things that well, if we if we travel, we we go somewhere where that we've heard about, whether that is through uh, history or through other travelers. We often follow the footsteps of other people uh, to see what. What, they, what we have not yet seen, and that can be very rewarding. And one of the sections has to do with, I guess, what might be the closest to a kind of a pilgrimage that I took. It was a trip to Turkey, and on this trip we visited a whole bunch of ruins, and these are ruins of places that are, are mentioned in the scriptures. They're places where the Christian, uh, small beginnings of the Christian church 
they are now in ruins and people go there to visit these ruins because they're old and they're bringing back to the human attention something that existed long ago. It was a very interesting trip. Maybe that was a little bit of a pilgrimage in, in the physical sense, but generally a pilgrimage is not necessarily physical, but a spiritual pilgrimage. And we grow as individuals. We learn. I hope we learn. I hope so too. I really hope we do aim for that daily transcendence where we we can become a better person at the end of the day. Um, but though that journey that you talk about uh, in your first chapter on the rise and go in parentheses, or sorry, in my notes, I put parentheses, but there's a quote by Confucius that you said, roads are made for journeys, not the destinations. And I thought that was a, a great way to start the book with the first chapter saying, welcome to the journey. And uh, don't forget, you're not gonna, you know, it's not about the epiphany at the end, but it's about let's let's read yeah exactly let's just go through and, and let's let's share a moment together type of thing now um sarah what is there anything that you would like to mention about the book or anything in, in personally or anything about um just anything this is this is your time well just to follow up on what you just said the uh the roads are made for journeys there's also the expression it's it's the journey that counts not the arrival but the fact is that the arrival also is important. I mean, on our physical journeys, our trips, whatever, we have a destination in mind and we want to arrive. But uh, the arrival isn't always a happy one. And, well, I could just say that in that first section that you mentioned, I had the idea that the world seemed to be so much in motion groups of people moving from one place to the other. And I was thinking of the refugees. And for them, the destination is important. And it isn't, hasn't always been happy for the, those refugees because they haven't always found the, the new country they come to as wonderful. But this was part of the, uh, the world to me before the pandemic when I was reading about all these different people moving in, from Africa or from the Middle East, and they were looking for places of safety in large numbers. And they were leaving things behind. They were they had lost their homes and their possessions in many cases. They didn't really know where they were going to land. I mean, they might have known the country, but they didn't know the, all the circumstances. So that is also part of pilgrimage and for the first part of the book. Of course, and, and that and that faith, right? That faith is what really keeps you going at the end. At least in my own personal journey, my my own faith and in my own respects was the one thing that uh, just kept me looking forward, you know. But um, yeah, thank you so much, Sarah. This is just the the ending part. If you would like to read a poem from uh, from your book, The Tree of Life, that would be wonderful. I'm going to read one. It's from the dream section, and this one this poem I'm going to read is called Tree. I dreamt a tree, neither pine nor palm, in a country I had never traveled. Storms that decimated poplar, birch, and willow could not disturb its sturdy canopy. Its fruit ripened where the hungry gathered, where refugees and strangers rested. I dreamt a slither in the grass beside a river that flows through a garden. 
When I awoke, the tree woke with me. Its leaves shone green in vacant spaces of the day. At the crossroads of simplicity and fear, lethargy and reconciliation, alpha and omega. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Sarah Claussen, the author of Tree of Life, a new poetry book. And thank you so much again, Sarah. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you again. At Dunkin' Donuts, each and every radio show is brewed fresh and served fresh at the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this radio show will do. So go ahead. Let Dunkin' Donuts make your radio experience exquisite. Indeed. (laughs) Dunkin' Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground. Thursdays, noon to one. sick and have contracted COVID-19, the BC Centre for Disease Control recommends staying home from work, school, and away from other public places. If you must go out, avoid using any kind of public transportation, ride sharing, or taxis. Monitor your symptoms carefully. If your symptoms get worse, call your healthcare provider immediately. Get plenty of rest. Stay hydrated. If you have a medical appointment, call the healthcare provider ahead of time and tell them that you have or may have COVID-19. For medical emergencies, call 911 and notify the dispatch personnel that you have or may have COVID-19. Cover your coughs and sneezes. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Or clean your hands with an alcohol-based hand sanitizer that contains at least 60% alcohol. As much as possible, stay in a specific room and away from other people in your home. Also, you should use a separate bathroom if available. If you need to be around other people in or outside of the home, always wear a face mask. Avoid sharing personal items with other people in your household, like dishes, towels, and bedding. Make sure all personal items are cleaned with general cleaning products after use. Clean all surfaces that are touched often, like counters, tabletops, and doorknobs. Use household cleaning sprays or wipes according to the label instructions. Hi everyone, I am back. I hope you enjoyed that interview that Nico did with Sarah Klassen. Um, Check out her poetry book, The Tree of Life. Now it is time for a yet another interview. Yes, um, I told you we have a bunch of interviews lined up. We have some interviews next week. I think one. Okay, don't quote me on that. Um, but <laughs> so basically now Eva has her interview with the band Black. The oh my god, the Black Pontiac. And before the interview, we're going to play their new song and we hope you like it. So stick around for the song and the interview. Also, if you're just tuning in now, hello, this is Sarah and you're listening to The Arts Report. Hey, this is Eva and coming up is an interview with Vancouver indie band Black Pontiac. The band includes singer Maddie McLaren, bassist Avery Shoesmith, guitarist Mac Riddle and drummer Sam Riddle. Pontiac has been a staple among local underground venues since its formation in 2018, with their single Kate Rambo hitting number 12 on the New Music Weekly Top 100 New Music Charts. 
They released their first EP, Ponyboy, earlier this year, and just two days ago came their new single, Soda Pop Rock. We're going to play that for you now, and I'll see you shortly. Everybody, I'm back, and this time I'm here with Black Pontiac. Hello, guys. Uh, How are you doing? Hello. Hey. hey. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. This is awesome. I'm really stoked. Thank you for having us. Oh, of course. <laughs> Why don't you guys all introduce yourself separately? Tell me what what instrument you play, and a little fun fact maybe about you guys. My, My name is. Sorry, who's going first? Matt, so, go first. Hey, okay. My name is Maddie, and I'm the singer. And a fun fact about me is. Uh, I did musical theater in high school, and we did Beauty and the Beast in grade 12, and I was the beast. <laughs> nice. That was sick. Uh, uh, I'm Sam. No, I'm going. I'm Very Sam. well. Uh, I play the drums, and I'm Mac's brother. That's the fun fact about me. <laughs> Mac, your turn. 
Oh yeah, I'm Hack and I play the guitar. And a fun fact about me is that um, I run 10 kilometers a day. Damn, good for you. He's an animal. What a flex, dude. Uh, yeah, low-key flex there, and I don't have any good facts. <laughs> dude, I'm you're a, a day trader. I'm Avery, I play <laughs> bass, and there are no fun facts about me. Dude, you're literally like, you like read and stuff. You're I've been known to read on occasion, several pages at least. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good skill to have. What are you reading right now? <laughs> I'm reading uh, a biography on Napoleon currently. Oh. Yeah. We had a great conversation about ambition in the car the other day. Yeah, it was really enlightening. <laughs> Civic reforms during the yeah. 1700s is a very interesting conversation. Right. Damn, I can tell he's the one who reads. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump right into Soda Pop Rock, which we would have just heard um, a minute ago. That is was released two days ago at the time of this uh, episode. So tell me a bit about that track. Basically, Sam had this riff. It was like a bass line, and that became the verse. And then we were really getting into the hives at that point. So we kind of took the vibe of what the hives does with like tick, tick, boom, and put that in the, into the pre-chorus and chorus. Just the vibe? Is that all we took? Is that all well, we took from tick, tick, boom? Tip the hat. Like, <laughs> we literally like, we kind of took the style for the chorus. We did, chorus. It, we so did we, it a we little homage. The hat. Like mix that with our own style. And, um, and then we also, for, for, the bridge where it speeds up to that kind of crazy mosh pit kind of segment. Yeah. We took that from, uh, I don't know if I should be saying this. Like, I don't know if we're going to We took this from a death, death from Above 1979 song called Caught Up, where they speed up right after the, I think it's the second chorus. And so we just did the exact same thing because it's such a cool part. Yeah. That's my so favorite we part. Stole from everyone. That that's awesome. No, it's not stealing. It's uh, inspiration. It's, it's inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> that's it's all. That's all art is. It's yeah, absolutely. It's important. we're just honest about it. I appreciate that. I think that's my favorite part that, that you were talking about. That like driving vocals right after the first verse, but it just kind of throws you into the first chorus. It's awesome, and that's kind of what I liked about this. Is kind of getting into Pony Boy. We're going to talk about that later. Pony Boy is your EP that you released earlier this year, but kind of reminded me of the really intense fast part of Tequila Cream and like Green Lipstick, which was always super cool. Okay, so well, you mentioned I think in an Instagram um, teaser for the song that this is. A very different song for you guys you were all really happy about this one and it kind of was the most authentic version of black pontiac why do why do you say that avery you want to take this one? Oh, uh, sure <laughs> that was a very well constructed question i'm just kind of thinking of how i'm gonna answer it oh take your time i, <laughs> I think this is uh this song in particular was structured and inspired by influences we all really enjoyed and the way we put it together on top of the production, which was very different from how we produced Pony Boy, it all came out exactly, well, I think exactly how we were all expecting it to, as opposed to some of the Pony Boy tracks we felt were not, some parts clashed in different aspects, such as arrangements or production, but this one really came out all, all different cylinders of it were all at 10. And it was, that's what I loved about it anyway. I think I would I would piggyback on that point by saying like it's almost worse, but that's what makes it better. You know, it's just a lot more raw and dynamic 
which I think is something that we we didn't know we were looking for, but we kind of had been figuring out since we started recording music together. And it's been just such a great journey trying to figure that out artistically. That's speaking. awesome. Yeah. What is that? So what is that process, the writing, composition, recording process usually look like for you guys as a band? Sam? What? No, that's a you question. That's a me. Okay. <laughs> um, so typically what happens is one of us will come to the practice, whatever, the jam, and they have an idea. And so everybody kind of starts building on this idea until it becomes just a jam with every, with all the instrumentalists in the band, let's say. Yeah. And I'm kind of just hovering and I, I kind of just sit in the corner and write lyrics and come up with melodies and we just go through it over and over and over again until we see what works and then it, it's it's very collaborative right so you know then we get to a point where we're like okay maybe we can try this or maybe we could go to this chord or maybe we slow this part down or double time this part that's pretty much how all the songs have been brought to life so far yeah and and uh i'd say that since we started um recording especially since we started recording soda pop rock all our writing um a lot of our writing we've been saying we could do this in the studio or we could do this in the studio to make that better instead of always focusing on a live song I think now yeah. we've, we've learned more about recording where we can say we want this to sound like this now and we that that way we can go into the studio to record with such a narrow down what we want without yeah. you know limiting experimentation I guess. That's very cool. That's that's interesting you say that. Do you think that's got to do with just now that you're moving into having that focus on recording or has it got something to do with covid and not being able to perform, you know, until who knows when? Uh, I think it's us um, getting more into recording what we want, for sure. And I I think it's also kind of learning from mistakes, where we went into the songs with for Pony Boy with no real idea of what we wanted out in terms of sound. And so um, we went to Soda Pop Rock knowing exactly what we wanted, and we got better than we wanted. So we're going to go back in with the same mindset next time we record. That's super cool. That's so rewarding too, I imagine. What's um has has it been different trying to create during COVID? I mean, there's a lot of negative space to navigate these days. Have you found any difference in trying to get together and create? I think on the creation end, I, I wouldn't say so. No. Like I think without live shows in the picture, we've just been in our own places and together sometimes just coming up with ideas right like there was a point when we had nothing but time and the serve checks were just coming in right so why wouldn't you take this time to just try some new things and and just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks <laughs> totally so to speak I that's a great way to look at it too I think a lot of people have been really bogged down and especially with something that is art you have to be in the right mind space for it and uh I'm glad that you guys have that mindset for it. I've been trying to put my kind of 
do something creative and uh, learning something new during COVID and it's not been taking off very well. I borrowed a bass from my buddy and I've picked it up like three times. I'm sorry, um, Avery. <laughs> we believe in you. You can do it. Yeah. One more time. Make it four. Come on. <laughs> Make it four. That's, that's a good Make goal. Make it four. Yeah. Um, so how, has that been weighing on you at all? The kind of, it has on me, not knowing when we'll be able to go back and enjoy live music or... Has that been upsetting you or have you just kind of taken it yeah, in stride? Yeah, 100%. I, it, it upset me in the beginning, you know, the first little bit as days turned into weeks and weeks to months. But I also feel like it's given me over like the spring and the summer, mentally, I was very much consciously trying to just come to terms with things I couldn't control, you know? And not just like COVID aside, it just, there were just other things in my life as well that I could apply it to. And I just, I'm just focusing on being here right now. What can I do to improve myself and, you know, improve the arts and kind of just, just be, right? And I think it's, it's helped my, my mindset during this time, personally. Yeah. I would say uh, it's given me a, like a total appreciation for playing live. Like I'll never take it for granted again. Uh, and like w when we start playing live again, I'll uh, um, appreciate every moment of it because I miss it. I think I took it for granted before and I'm just going to have way more fun with it. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. There's that, that energy there that just can't, you can't even describe it. You just share it with everybody like that that thing that just brings everybody together i don't know yeah and i feel it especially strong in like our vancouver underground scene right like it's a very close-knit community and there are a couple of really uh, big venues that um everyone just has a lot of kind of almost like patriotism toward like i'm thinking redgate in particular like that's just going to be insane and i can see soda pop rock going especially hard in the mosh pit at redgate oh, yeah. that was immediately oh, yeah. what i was thinking i was like oh Redgate um so that'll be really fun what what's your kind of favorite venue to play at for when we do go back of the venues that are left I, I mean know. probably Redgate just because they they just have a really great team and a really great support system there to make sure everybody is you know having a good time and staying safe and you know like obviously you can't catch everything in that regard but I think out of anywhere they they do it the best, right? As a venue. Yeah. And speaking of everybody, it's very important to support your local venues and they're having a really hard time in COVID right now. So look into, if you have a really favorite venue that you just can't wait to get back to, look into ways you can support them. Please. It's true. Vancouver venues. It's like the Hunger Games out there right yeah. now. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I just saw your post about, um, the, like it was like an F in the chat for the 333 and it made me sad this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, let's, on a, on a happier note, what would be, do you think you guys have a favorite uh, memory of a Pontiac show or a cool experience as a band? Well, for sure that one where they ripped the hell out of that doll that we threw in the audience. Oh, yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> what happened? That was pretty funny. Yeah. I, had a, I had a little, I had a, like, mannequin doll that I bought from the Halloween store, and I dressed him up like Chip Wilson with a little sign, and it had, like, the Lululemon thing on it and oh everything and i just like at the very end of our set i just chucked it into the crowd and people tore it into like 
20 different pieces and took it home with him. Oh, yeah, some of them threw pieces back at us. <laughs> I don't know if that was endearing or not. I, I felt I felt, I felt kind of bad afterwards because I was like, wait a minute, like some of these parts are hard plastic that I just threw at these people. But We went outside at one point and like this girl was drinking out of a leg. Oh, oh my God. Did, yeah. didn't we? Did we all sign the head of it at one point? We did. We did sign we the did. head. We took a photo with somebody with the head mm-hmm. that was on like a stick. That's barbaric. <laughs> so just imagine that some chick in their bedroom has a a head on a stake with your names written all over it. Only in Vancouver. Yeah. Only in Vancouver. <laughs> there you go. So That's much culture. Name. So much culture. <laughs> Okay, well, let's move into, we haven't talked much about Ponyboy, and I'm interested in where that sound came from in particular, because it feels very, like, multi-generic, like a lot of, like you were saying, pieces coming together of different styles. Like, how would you explain the sound of of Ponyboy and of Pontiac in general? Uh, Matt, you want to take it? Sure. I mean, um, Ponyboy was early in our not not the earliest because it's not the first thing we've ever put out right like we did a couple demo tapes and kind of low effort little eps and stuff that we ended up taking off because we wanted to save it for later and you know kind of make the material better but pony boy was the first kind of really solid high quality project that we've ever put out and really like we did it with um darren gran who was uh, a producer for, I mean, no, no, no. He is a producer, but he was an engineer for Bob Rock in like the 80s and 90s. Did a bunch of Metallica, Molly Crew records. Great guy, amazing. We love him, loved working with him. Um, And we got together and we kind of just picked the five best songs that we had, right? And at the time we were still in the middle of trying to figure out what it is we wanted to do right mm-hmm. and there were so because there's there's so many different genres and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense but at the time we were just focused on making stuff that we liked and making stuff that sounded good mm-hmm. and I think that resonated with people at least like there and there are songs on there that I don't particularly like anymore you know just because I was in a different place when I wrote them. But, you know, I can appreciate that people people are feeling that stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think because yeah. it has, it worked because there were so many different genres going on. It was very eclectic. And if there wasn't a song that you enjoyed so much, the next one was something different. And so maybe it would be. Um, and, you know, you have a very, there's not like one set genre that works really well in Vancouver, you know, like Seattle has the grunge thing, whatever, but Vancouver has a lot of different vibes going on. And so you fit into a lot of those, I think. Vancouver has so, I mean, I think it's known for a lot of that, like sad indie pop thing, but there is so much underrated talent here across all the different kind of the whole musical spectrum it's it's unbelievable really that's totally true on that note would there be like one favorite local band that you each have it's hard to pick one somebody go first there's a bunch there's a bunch of really good ones like naked gypsies hit so hard they're they're pretty sick sleepy gonzalez is sleepy gonzalez is tight i love necking actually I'm really huge fan of necking. Oh yeah, necking's sick. Um, I don't know, Sam. What do you think? Yeah, Sam and Avery. I'd say 
I'd say Sleepy G is 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 one of my favorites. I like I like uh, I like what Dassey's doing a lot. Oh, Dassey, true, yeah. true, Dassey. Dassey is a uh, she's Dassie sick. Who's her band? Um, I I want to say Shway, but they aren't really like a Vancouver band anymore. Are they not? Because like, well, they like moved to Montreal, but I think they came back. But I don't really know what the oh, status Peach is. Pit. Oh, okay, well, classic. Peach yeah, Pit, right. Well, Peach Pit. Peach Pit is like the reason I want to be in a band. You know, like they've ascended to the next tier. Yeah, they're, exactly. They're world right. They're world wide. <laughs> like them to totally. pull us up with them, please. Yes, let's yeah, go on tour, guys. Bit. Let's make it happen, boys. Dads, come on. That's awesome. You guys have you've met Peach Pit before, right? We have, yeah. Yeah, yeah cuz I think I saw I might be messing this one up, but I think I saw them at like there was a picture of them at a show of yours or you at a show of theirs or someone was Yeah, the, that would probably be the Kingfisher Blues Christmas party like a year or two ago we met them a couple times because like they they came out to our shows first like one at a time and then we got to like actually like talk to them for like for a bit at the kingfisher blues yeah we were fangirling pretty hard yeah so you said that that was partially why you wanted to get into music would why don't we go round robin can everyone tell me a little like what was that initial i want to start not just playing music but i want to be in a band and i want to do this for real I mean, you can be into music, but then you can be like into music. You know what I mean? Really like, like putting records on your wall and just obsessing and just like, eh, that's right, um, and just totally obsessing over over the art and the 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 passion and the the universal tone, as Carlos Santana calls it. And I think for me, that point was when I that came to me when I started seeing some of these bands that were playing at places like Stylus Records. And then it was like the first time I saw Peach Pit live before they were really, really big at the Russian Hall, um, like three years ago or something. And I kind of looked up and I saw them doing their thing and all the people were dancing. And I was like, wait a minute, I could do that. You know, I, I want to do that. And that was it. That's so cool. Um, um, so Sam and my dad was, uh, he's been in a band his whole life, pretty much since he was like 18 or 19. And, um, so he's told us stories his entire life of being on tour and he's just, we've always been around instruments. Like Sam and I were on stage when we were like seven and five years old, um, playing with his band. So but like I never thought I could do this. Like I thought it would just be a hobby. And then when we started writing songs, it was it was in it was like wow, we can actually really do this, and we should give it a shot. And so we're just giving it our best shot because why not? Like if we we would rather do this than anything else in the world. And it, yeah, I don't know. That's yeah, it, I I say for me, it it wasn't so much as seeing another band play that made me want to be in a band it was more like i started playing drums in high school and it was kind of just a hobby of mine and then mac asked me to jam one day with matt and we played troublemaker one of our songs and uh i was like super impressed but you know i I was still like okay that's pretty cool all right but then we played our first show 
And uh, we had like a bunch of friends come out and the crowd was going nuts. It was a small crowd, but it was going crazy. And that's when I knew like this could be something awesome. I just want to interject there and say Troublemaker was the first song we ever wrote and it will be on the next project. Ooh. A little insider scoop. Sorry, continue. That's exciting. Is it my turn? It is. <laughs> it is your turn. Take it away. The man. Uh, I saw... I started playing, my parents forced me to play guitar, and I primarily played metal. It wasn't until I heard Bruce Springsteen on the radio one morning when I was 15 Amen. that I was truly infatuated with anything musically related. I remember watching uh, old archive footage of him playing live shows from the late 70s, because I didn't have any money to go see real musicians, apparently. And for that, for those few hours or so that he played time would stop and they would just create something out of thin air just there's nothing going on until they count it one two three four and everything just kind of manifests and it's just an incredible feeling i'm so happy that you know these three guys who i can call bandmates pick me up and allow me to experience that with them oh my gosh i love that that's bruce springsteen will do that to you truly he's the boss for a reason (laughs) boss man so Sam, you joined in afterwards after it had been pre-established. Is that right? Uh, yeah. It was. Uh, it was like we had. It was just Mac and Matt at that point. And so then they asked Matt, give the in. story of how Black Pontiac formed. Yeah. You were there in the Tell beginning. The I was there. I was there right from the very beginning. <laughs> at the campfire, Mac had the guitar, and everyone knew that I liked to sing. And we played Danny California. Oh, you're not supposed to say that. I'm not supposed to say that. I know, I know. The forbidden words. That's just, we just, um, we're like, hey, I mean, we were in the same circle of friends, but we never, like, the two of us didn't really ever interact one-on-one. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then we started getting together and we just had this, this chemistry, you know, just like each one of us was missing something else that the other needed. And I think it just kind of came together perfectly. It glided a little bit. Yeah. And then adding um, Sam and later Avery into the mix on bass, because there were, there were a few bassists that we played with and it didn't really work out, but. None compare. None compare. <laughs> truly, truly. Wow. I'm blushing. Thanks guys. Avery, <laughs> like the, the cool thing about Avery is like, like Avery didn't really play bass to, before he was a guitar player. So like, he's kind of like we've seen him get better and better at bass and he's kind of adapted his bass playing to to like for black pontiac style which is really really cool to see that's killer yeah so you played um guitar before avery and then you weren't really vibing with that that was what your dad made you play (laughs) no i vibe with it pretty hard but black pontiac called for a bass player and i was there to answer the call Damn. So where did you did you know like Mac before? Is that- Me and Mac were on the same basketball team when we were thirteen. <laughs> I was extreme. I was probably no. I was the smallest guy on the team. It was incredible. I don't know how I made the team. To this day, I don't know the rules of basketball. It was a flu. It was a B team. We were terrible. We lost. Like- <laughs> oh my god! We didn't win one playoff game. Uh, yeah, and then I've I met Matt. At like, what would you say? It was like Friends. a party or something. We, at yeah, at several, yeah, several parties. Some functions, met. and I was like, 
wow, I just am feeling this guy right now. We vibe pretty was, hard. I, I felt like we just vibed. It was it was immediate connection. There was. And then I didn't meet Sam until the first Black Pontiac gig, which I attended. I did not play. But I was in the crowd. And it was, yeah, it was awesome. I'm very happy to be in this band. Excellent. Where So this is not a super deep question, but where does Black Pontiac come from? Whose car? Whose car is that? It's a, it's a car that I drove in high school. <clears throat> I had like a black Sunfire Pontiac. It was just like a really not a piece of crap car it ran so well i never had to like fix it up or anything a uh, really reliable car but i just felt so cool driving it around and then it broke down but no. the, it lives on with the band so gone but not forgotten it was the coolest thing the fact that you drove a car and we would just ride around in this pontiac was the coolest thing ever at the time you know, yeah, and we went to shows and stuff. In, cramped in with all the gear. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was a little two-door Pontiac, and we got all four of us and the gear inside that small little bloody <laughs> oh, car. And it was... That was a rough trap. We should, we should not be here still. <laughs> no, that was, that was a health and safety, safety hazard for sure. Oh, that's so funny. So, unfortunately, um, my, my Zoom light is going to kick us off in a few minutes, so we've got to wrap up, unfortunately. Um, before we say goodbye, why don't you give me a little plug? Where can everybody be listening to Soda Pop Rock and Pony Boy? Soda Pop, Pop Rock is going to be available on like all the streaming services, Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, Deezer, iHeartRadio, I don't know, YouTube, whatever, whatever Christian you Mingle, want. It's going to be on it. It's everywhere. Christian Mingle, you know, you put that, listen, you just got to go follow us on that social media at Black Pontiac Music on Instagram. Um, you know, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. It'll, we're on TikTok. We're on TikTok. We're on TikTok. I, I better see some cringy TikToks yes. using uh, Soda Pop Rock. Soda Pop Rock. Share and save our posts. That's the best way you can engage with us on social media. Send that stuff around. Um, tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Don't tell forget everybody. to like and subscribe. Like and subscribe in the link below. I will be linking below on Library. It's correct. So do that. Yes. All right, guys. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute blast. I really appreciate it. Eva, thank yeah. you so thank much you for having us. us. Thanks for having us. You got it, dude. All right. Cheers. Take it easy. Thank you. Bye. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. In context of Vancouver's opioid crisis, CITR would like to take a moment to share some harm reduction strategies. Try not to do drugs alone. When going out, let friends know what drugs you're taking and make sure someone has an unlocked kit. If you're able to, get your drugs tested before taking them. Avoid mixing opioids with alcohol or stimulants. Remember that opioids can include painkillers prescribed by a doctor, and it's possible for any drugs to be contaminated with opioids. Learn the signs of opioid overdose, which include, but are not limited to, unresponsiveness or unconsciousness, inability to speak, 
breathing that is slow, erratic, or has stopped completely, heartbeat that is slow, erratic, or has stopped completely, skin tone that has turned blue or gray, choking or gurgling sounds. If you think someone is overdosing, call 911 immediately. Start rescue breathing and administer naloxone if you have it. You cannot get in trouble for being on drugs, so always call 911 in an emergency. For more information about naloxone kits and training, visit towardtheheart.com. Thank you and stay safe. Hello, folks, I'm back, and that was a long interview, but it was a fun one. And so I'm going to quickly talk about Farouche, which was part of the IDF. So Farouche, they are, I think, three dancers, but one of them was in a tech, so she was doing background stuff with the two of them dancing. Um, There were three scores, really didn't have much music, any of them. It was just, like, I don't know, some parts had some music, but mostly it was silent. And then there was some talking, which was nice. And by talking, I mean, like, the third girl was talking into a mic. And something she said that stuck with me was, and when you're ready, you can begin again. But I don't know why. It just, it just did, you know? It was, it, it was just nice. And so, and between scores, they had costume changes. And during the costume changes, the cameramen were showing the lights. And so at first I was weirded out, like, for a second there, because I was like, no, show me the dancers. Why are you showing me the lights? But apparently they were just changing costumes. And I did not realize. I am stupid. But anyways, and in between the second and the third um, scores... One of them was still dancing while the other one was changing costumes, which I thought was quite interesting. And then when the second one, like the second dancer started changing costumes, they just showed the back, like the backstage. Um, it was it was really cool. I don't know. It started off with um, the one in the tech, like doing the tech, talking on the microphone to the audience, which felt really personal. It was really cool. And then... There were two camera angles. We got to see both dancers from different angles, which was really, really cool. I keep saying cool. Anyways, the dancers were great. I'm not even going to talk about that. They were both amazing. I just want to be them as a dancer. I look, look at them and I see what I would like to be, but I'm nowhere near as good as them. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is very rushed because I don't have much time and I'm sorry about that, but I'm being genuine and all of these because it was just really good right if you didn't see it i'm i'm sorry for you i wish you could have seen it it was lovely i loved it so much and if you do get the chance to see farouche live or you know live streamed because of covid please 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 do watch them for sure i would definitely recommend farouche they were really good i thought the three scores complemented each other really well and that even though there were technically like quite literally breaks in between them because of you know costume changes or like music there wasn't really music but like anyways just changes you know could have felt weird to connect connect but they felt really connected like they they didn't feel weird which I think is very important and quite hard to do and I mean I'm not gonna lie to you there are some shows that I watched that felt really disconnected but you know 
Farouche got it, they did it, and I don't know what else to say. Honestly, it's just that I was quite speechless because it was definitely not what I was expecting at all. It felt very personal. I wish I could see it in person. Okay, I feel like I feel like I say this with every VIDF performance, but I wish I really do wish I could see them in person. I just want to breathe the air that they breathe in and I just want to see their sweat dripping down their faces, you know? I don't know if that's weird, but that's just what I like. That's what I want. <laughs> and I just want to be up close and experience the whole package, you know? But yeah, anyways, basically, three scores, 10 out of 10, 20 out of 10. They were really good. Loved it. Also, apparently, one of the dancer's parents were watching. And so that was really cute that they mentioned that in the beginning. But yeah, so this has been The Arch Report follow us on social media on instagram we're arts report citr on twitter we are citr underscore arts report and on facebook we are arts report on citr 101.9 fm and i post some funny stuff on there just check it out see if you like it and hey slide into my dms let's chat let's be friends please COVID has us just not socializing and that is not cool. I'm an extrovert and I need to meet people, okay? Let's talk. Let's become friends. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed the show. And until next week, take it sleazy, y'all. <laughs>